Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google certificates. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. Do not forget to buy lentils, or the lentil soup you're making for dinner will be sorely lacking. By the way, Mrs. Calloway says thanks for helping her bundle home and auto. She appreciates the extra savings, even though you kept using the word apropos incorrectly. But the main thing is do not forget to buy, uh, what was it? Something apropos, the lentil soup. Sorry, I'll call you back. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Westwood One presents The Polsters. The Polsters. And now, Margie and Kristen. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with PSB Research. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So first, welcome, APOR listeners. If you saw me at the last APOR conference, that's the Association, uh, the American Association of Public Opinion Research. Um, fantastic conference. It was my first time going. It's so fun. It was really fun. I didn't have, um, they, you know, you know, when you go to conferences and they'll say like speaker on your badge. So they didn't have a speaker ribbon. You can put your own oh, ribbon on. Oh, they're a very ribbony conference. There were a lot of ribbons. You can choose your own ribbons. Did you Kylie could, have a lot of ribbons? I the, Probably. I feel like Kylie would have a lot of ribbons. I just took first time attendee, which seemed like a nice icebreaker, but they had like Twitter team, you know, which I thought, well, that maybe I should be Twitter team also. So I mean, you could you could have really, if you wanted to, you could rack up those badge ribbons. Yeah, it was it was. I was amazed at how smart everybody was, how much detail people and thought people put into like really different specific questions about research. Um, and at the same time, there was a lot of dialogue about some of the same stuff that our listeners want to hear about, which is the what went wrong in 2016 or how do we improve on 20, on political polling. Uh, there was a whole track of that. So there was a lot of discussion about that. That was, you know, most of the questions after my panel, which covered a variety of topics, were actually about uh, the what happened in 2016 polling. And yes, uh, Kylie McGinney, my colleague and our in-house methodologist and who helped co-write the uh, APOR report on what happened, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. So she was there. I feel like she was so enthusiastic. You know when Key and Peele have, like, anger trans- translators <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> who are like, oh, that's what I, you know, and then really, like, someone is expressing. She is expressing the enthusiasm toward APOR and New Orleans and and pretty much everything that you want. <laughs> She's like your enthusiasm translator. So that was my APOR experience. I did interview Air, uh, Ariel Edwards-Levy. She's f- funny as heck. And if I could only follow 10 people on Twitter, she would be one of them. Yeah, we talked a little bit about her Twitter feed. She is, I mean, she was so fun. So definitely go back and listen to that. She talks about uh, some of the things that she found interesting about gender. Um, and, <clears throat> excuse me, for our new listeners, if you want a little bit more, know a little bit more about what the show is about, we have this, I mean, this incredible review from Policy Profit. Oh my gosh, this made me want to cry. I know. It was so 
Great. Okay, so the review says, I cannot say enough good things about Margie and Kristen. I spent the last three years getting my Master of Public Policy degree. Congrats. Which, yes, congrats. That's awesome. And these women did more to help me get through it than they can understand. One, you actually helped me learn things about survey research. I love when you discuss wording decisions, scaling choices, and methodology considerations. So really, she just loves that episode you did with Kylie. Yeah. We're not actually going to talk about any of those things today, by the way. (laughs) Uh, Two, you have both taught me that I can't care about people without caring about what they think and feel about things. The pollsters was an antidote to the creeping paternalism that can be ingrained in a person focusing entirely on policy analysis and economics. So you got to, it's not, you got to think about feelings and, and attitudes. Yeah. And then finally, these two unquestionably decent human beings. Ah, that's, should we put that as like <laughs> endorsement? I, I have that question sometimes, but I'm glad that like, wow, you policy profit has unquestionable, she feels uh, that we, Besides it. having differing philosophies and being close colleagues, we are an example that we folks should try to live by because we are good friends. And she says her politics align more with Margie, but uh, how she likes to spend her days is more similar to me. Yeah. So I guess she, I'm assuming it's she uh, likes, you know, beer and sports and potato chips. (laughs) You make it sound like I'm a dude. (laughs) You make it sound like I'm such a dude. As opposed to, you know, composting and like Tacoma Park wine moms. (laughs) I also like looking at the Sephora website every day to see what new makeup is there, Margie. I have girly habits. Yes. I I have traditionally... That sounds lovely. <laughs> Maybe we can come together. Maybe we do have a lot more weekend habits in, in common. Um, and then here's what the show is not about, okay? You can send us a pitch, and it's okay if you haven't listened to our show. That's fine. I get it. But... Like, at least look at the show description or something or, like, Google anything, right? Because we got a pitch from somebody who was repping, like, an online dating expert or something about the uh, the curse of the independent woman and that too many women were talking too much about how they're independent in their dating profiles and they should just realize that every woman is like that. So they should just not put that in there just because – Hey, Margie, it's data. <laughs> It's data. So wait, no, 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 never mind. This is that is not the right. So yeah. The show. So no, you're not going to get a, a good audience with us on that. But anyway, so bad, bad pitches. One oh one. Curse the independent women aimed at Margie and Kristen gets a big old <laughs> big <X>. old false. <laughs> okay. So this week's top lines. What are we going to talk about? Well, first we get out of town to start. We'll start by looking at polls out of Georgia, Montana, and Virginia. Trump is out of town too. Ivanka, she's big in Saudi Arabia, but is she big at home? Home. We'll look at how House Trump's numbers are looking. Russia, 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 polling on Trump and whether Amer- American voters think of his crew as a security risk. We'll talk a little bit about things that we learned from APOR, but we'll also but we'll talk mostly uh, at the latter half of the show about how Gallup has been tracking views on moral issues going back decades. What do Americans think it means to be right and wrong these days? And finally, young Republicans bolting the GOP. Hmm. I feel like I read a book about that. I f- <laughs> Was not as bleak as this Pew data. But first, as we dive into our poll of the week. So we have a lot of specials and odd year elections out there in Georgia, Montana, Virginia. The Virginia poll was like our top thing on Facebook that you guys clicked on. Will Democrats be enthusiastic? It's hard to say. We'll see. So sorry, I was looking for the stop button. No, that's good. <laughs> we went above our. 15, I would have kept going. Our legal fifteen seconds. 
don't so, think they're as tough about TV theme songs, are they? Yeah. yeah well, I mean, I would love to get into some kind of public spat with <laughs> Larry David. The Polsters David. get sued because Larry David's mad that we used six extra seconds of I his mean, theme song. If, if that can somehow like bring back his Bernie Sanders impressions for just a brief moment, I'd be fine with it. Um, so, because uh, I love basically anyone's Bernie Sanders impression. There isn't one that I don't love. They're all hilarious. So... There's some polling for the Georgia runoff, which is on June 20th. And that, um, uh, as you know, there was the initial uh, vote uh, a couple weeks ago where neither, no candidate uh, exceeded 50 percent. So they're going to a runoff. The poll that was released showed uh, the Democratic candidate at 51, uh, Ossoff to handle uh, at 44 percent. Um, that's still pretty tight, but it shows the Democrat with the advantage. This is IVR, folks. So IVR means it's a automated, like a robo poll, uh, robo call poll. Now, um, what the folks at APOR discuss is something Kylie for sure has mentioned a couple of times is that IVR was actually more uh, accurate in 2016 polling than other methodologies, in part because of the turnout dynamics of 2016 because IVR is a methodology that is, you know, maybe skews toward people who are downscale because it's more landlines and, and older. Um, and so that ended up actually being a little bit better representative of what was going on in this election than some other types of methodologies, which are going to have a little bit more of a bias for people who are b- better educated and have a harder time reaching that downscale voter that was critical to, you know, to to turn out into Trump's success. Anyway, I don't know if, if that finding is replicable forever and what that means about this Georgia poll, but it's just a thing to keep in mind when you say IVR, forget it, that there is actually potentially a point where, at least in the short term, IVR makes a big difference. So that's in Georgia. Um, Virginia, that's not a special. That's coming. That's a regular odd year election. That's Mm -hmm. for governor that people look at as a bellwether uh, for what things are going to happen, especially in uh, gubernatorial races around the country. There you have both Democratic candidates, whether it's Northam or Perriello, evenly matched in the Dem primary, they're pretty much neck and neck and evenly matched against uh, Ed Gillespie uh, in the statewide there. Now, the thing with this poll, this is the Washington Post and um, the Shar School. Um, now, the question is, they looked at registered voters. Now, are they talk? what kind of vote screen do they use to try and reach odd year voters where you have lower turnout? Do they, you know, what kinds of other turnout scenarios are they doing behind the scenes? I don't know the answer to that. But in these odd year elections, even if people are super excited, you still it's lower turnout than an even year. Even if people are trained, it's not like a special people are trained in Virginia to vote in these statewide in odd years. But still. It's still, a, you know, not a typical election time. Yeah. And because Virginia, because of, of the weird kind of off off here, I mean, it is it's a it, these races, whether it's what I think it's Virginia, New Jersey, they're the ones that always do the, yeah. the off off year right yeah. after a presidential. So Louisiana and Kentucky that's in right. other years, but not this year. Um, so I remember four years ago, like Virginia and New Jersey, I think I wrote a column about it, like, oh, this was the two paths forward for the GOP, right? On the one hand, you had Cuccinelli, who was running as like a far right guy. And like, was he going to be able to win Virginia versus Chris Christie, who ran very much in the centrist mold, won like a majority of Hispanic voters was like, oh, the Christie model is the way to go. Uh, Cuccinelli lost, but Chris Christie's approval rating went 
down the toilet and then he endorsed Trump. And so who – the last four years have been real interesting. But uh, – <laughs> Right. now likes by – somehow seems like moderate compared to some of the folks that you see out there defending Trump. I'm like, what is happening in this crazy world? I'm like, how oh, Cuccinelli is like the Republican on that panel who is like, sounds the most mainstream. <laughs> like, what's happening? Um, so anyway, uh, that's that's Virginia. Um, now, Montana. Now, this special is tomorrow. We're recording on Wednesday. So this is tomorrow. By the time you listen to it, this may have already happened. It's so weird having an election not on a Tuesday. I know, right? And so that's the one where you have Rob Quist as the Democrat, and he is a folk singer, and he has a big hat. You may have seen that. And I love these elections where it's like Scott Brown drives a truck, and Lamar Alexander has a shirt. Like, I just, you know, I just... Lamar Alexander has a shirt? (laughs) His flannel shirt. His flannel (laughs) shirt, you know? That was like his thing, you know? They're like iconic thing, like... I, you know, I worked with a candidate who had a, you know, bow tie or I had another candidate who was like, I'm a rodeo clown. We said he was like a rodeo star. He didn't, he didn't win. But anyway, people are like, I, you know, here is this singular image for you to remember me by. So Rob Quist as Montana folk singer, hat wearing guy. Does he win? The polls are, have seemed to have tightened. The last couple of polls that have come out over the last few weeks Two have shown Quist uh, up and one has shown the Republican candidate up. These are Google consumer surveys, polls, Gravis market. I mean, these are, you know, they're online. We don't know how they're reaching, you know, odd year Wednesday voters or Thursday voters. We don't know that yet. So it's just going to depend a little bit on enthusiasm is going to be a test of some, you know, how people are looking at turnout and have we learned any lessons in terms of thinking about how we interpret the public polling that we see. We don't know the answer to all that yet. Uh, so, it, you know, again, it's always tough to read into these special elections, but the enthusiasm question, I think, is it is if the Democratic base is really fired up and the Republican base is not. I think that does give us something interesting to think about as we head toward the midterms. The other big thing that will influence the midterms is Donald Trump. But before that, we have a word from our sponsor. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites with just one click. Then their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your job better than anyone else. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't spend on candidates find depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. So there's no juggling emails or calls to your office. You screen, rate, and manage your candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. So find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes and to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. And one more time, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. All right, now let's talk about Donald Trump. Yeah, Donald Trump. (laughs) It's been, you know, so we didn't do our regular format last week, which means we had two weeks of polls to catch up on. And like, an incredibly insane amount of news, like just massive news nonsense for two weeks. And, you know, he took a little bit of a hit in the polls, not surprisingly. He did. I mean, his approval rating is still at 40 percent, but it's the the trend lines have moved for sure. Um, I think there has not have there hasn't been as much winning lately. Like, I think even things that 
even if you don't like the president, like there were things that they were arguing like, oh, this is a win. I don't feel like there have been any win headlines as of when these polls were taken. Right. Now, next week it could change because if the argument is, well, the foreign trip went well or what have the you. The orb. The orb. The orb. The magic orb. <laughs> Maybe his numbers will go up because he touched the magic orb. I, love, I loved orb Twitter. I never wanted it to end. I just wanted to was keep Was it better going. than young Pope Twitter? It was so much better than young Pope Twitter. There was someone, <laughs> although someone put young Pope in like the Pope photos <laughs> oh god that's pq margie <laughs> i'm like oh that's good i still think i prefer the orb <laughs> uh so there are some favorability ratings so donald trump was not alone on his trip he went with melania and went with ivanka and so ivanka has also been sort of appearing and it has a big following in saudi arabia she was trending on Twitter there, like but people love her there. Yeah. Uh, here in the U.S., somewhat less so. So favorability ratings, according to Gallup, Donald Trump is viewed unfavorably by a net 11 points. Ivanka Trump viewed favorably by a net 11 points. Um, most of her favorability comes from men rather than women. That for women, they're pretty split on Ivanka Trump, 42 to 40. Men are much more positive about her, plus 19. But a lot of that, you've got to assume, is driven by partisan. Yeah, don't get carried away. Don't get carried away. Women are more likely to be Democratic. Men are more likely to be Republican. And party ID is a huge, huge, huge driver of and your we, views. They on didn't break Trump. out party by gender, but if they had, we'd be able to figure that out. But it is worth noting, though, that Donald Trump, as we've seen in lots of polls, is just, it, you know, has terrible, terrible ratings with Democrats. He has nine point his nine points of nine percent of Democrats are favorable toward him, which is incredible. She does a little bit better. Twenty three percent of Democrats are favorable toward Ivanka, so that's part of where that boost comes from for her. Um, so that we have a little bit of clarity on Ivanka, I guess, or at least just the surface, just you know, the scratching the surface. What is tough to really figure out because it's moving so quickly and it's complicated. And it's hard for voters to really figure out what piece of the story they're they're listening to is how voters feel about Comey and Russia, accusations of obstruction of justice, various hearings. I mean, there's just so much that, you know, when I listen, sometimes I listen to the Daily, the New York Times Daily podcast on the way to work. If I don't listen to it on the way to work, I mean, it's like pointless to listen to it at any point. If I go to work, even not even a peak time, it's too late. It's already like the news has changed so quickly. And so the poll questions can't change quickly enough to reflect all the changes in what's happening. Yeah. In order to conduct a good telephone poll, you actually need to be in the field for more than one night because if you're just in the field for one night, you don't have time to do callbacks and things like that. So people who are harder to reach. For people who are harder to reach, you need the ability to, hey, if you can't get them this night, you have the option of calling them back and trying again a couple more times. Uh, maybe you'll get them that second night. So it's good for pollsters to not do a poll on one night. But by the time you get to night two of the poll, what's big in the news totally changed. Right. And while we all see the news changing quickly, it, voters are, you know, perhaps not having quite the volatile experience. What do you mean news. people are not addicted to Twitter <laughs> and constantly reading it like we are? What? Yes. So anyway, so all that stuff makes it very difficult. I mean, I don't want to say like who cares where the polling is on this stuff because obviously it matters, but it just is going to take a while before we really see what happens. And and maybe maybe that's one good thing that can come out of the foreign trip is that we have a little bit, you know, more dust settling on this. So the polls after the foreign trip can maybe have a sense of where public opinion is at that moment. Um, but 
I mean, we have this question here. This is Morning Consult and Politico. This was, I think, released today. As you may know, it was recently reported that Trump shared highly classified national security information with officials from the Russia government during a recent meeting in the White House. Knowing this, how confident are you in President Trump's ability to handle highly classified national security information? But that seems to me to be a little bit of a leading question, right? Like you're teeing it up with like, so here is this thing that you may or may not have heard about, about Trump. That some people. Exposing information that he shouldn't. Now having heard this, I mean, that to me, that feels like. It doesn't feel like you're giving a piece of information that you wouldn't pick up from seeing the news, but. Well, it's tricky, right? Because, you know, because some people don't even think this happened, right? And Trump says one thing in on Twitter than his aides say. And so, so you know, so what do you even say about it? And like, of course, none of that. You can't have all that in this question, right? right? Um, so it gets very tricky. And then even if none of this other stuff was in dispute, it's just a lot of information in there for people to really grab onto. Yeah. Um, nonetheless, you get predictable partisan breaks here on sort of how people, you know, respond to it. What I what I kind of like is there's a question that was asked by HuffPo YouGov, which was about are Americans bothered by reports um, – around Trump, do they? And so they ask a question that's just very vague. Do you think that Trump's administration's relationship with Russia is a legitimate issue or not a legitimate issue? So you're not asking about Flynn or what did he tell Kislyak in the Oval Office or was there collusion or, or what the about election. the leaks or the election? Like it's not it's not forcing you to think about one piece of this puzzle. It's just saying Trump and Russia, legit or no? And I think that's a pretty good proxy for how you would find people falling on a lot of this stuff. Like, And they find 50 percent of people say it's a legitimate issue. 28 percent say it's not. Here, to this point that we just made about you know gender and party being pretty linked, this is what's really strange. There's almost no gender divide on the question of whether or not it's a legitimate issue. But there is a huge party divide. So I am – a bit perplexed. Yeah. So th- is th- this must this is one where it, this is not being driven by the fact that more men are Republican or more. Wi- it, it must mean that even Republican women feel about this. I mean, I, this is I'm just fascinated by this. Yeah. No, we don't know. We don't know. Um, and then they have a similar question. Do you think this relation Trump's relationship with Russia is a problem? Is it a very serious, somewhat serious, you know, not so serious, not a problem at all. Um, and and this is where it gets confusing, right? Where I mean, confusing where you have a, a plurality. Almost half of Republicans say it's not a problem at all. Like the most intense saying, this is just not a problem. Again, the kind of big basket of how you group together all these issues. And maybe for some of those folks, they're thinking – like this is sour grapes about the election as opposed to, no, we're actually talking about, you know, real subpoenas and we're talking about people going and testifying and saying that they were worried and, you know, a, a different set of issues altogether. Yeah. Um, and it, it, I, I'm worried about – well, obviously, I'm the, this is whole – there's so much to worry about, right? The actual thing that's happening is worrying. The fact that the people are willing to look aside when something very serious is happening is worrying. And then to look at the polls, which are illustrative but still can't tell us the whole story given everything we've just said about how complicated the issue is and 
how quickly it, it's moving. Um, I, you know, do we end up in a situation where we're like, well, you know, maybe we don't need to talk, you know, people think we don't need to talk about this because the polls show that Republicans aren't concerned and, you know, independents are confused or, or, or do we come to some kind of conclusion that this is not an issue that is worth media and political exploration? Certainly that doesn't seem to be the case now because that's all anybody's talking about, but that does it widen the divide between what the press is talking about and what voters want to hear and are consuming? Yeah. Um, and this is I, I think now that you have the now that you have special counsel, this issue will be around. For, I mean, this issue is not going anywhere, um, but it will, I think, take on a different tone in that. Well, you've still got Senate committees that want people to testify and stuff. I mean, this now has like I think a few weeks ago we said, oh, there's so many different angles to this. Right now there are like the angles to the story have exploded exponentially in that time. So there there will be no shortage of stuff to cover even if even if what's what's so crazy about this, I said this last night on a show, that it's like the cover up is worse than the crime and there may not have actually been a crime. Like there may actually not be any real collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia, but there's enough sketchiness and shady people and smoke that like by acting like yeah. you're covering something up, it keeps it in the news and it keeps it something that people are talking about. Yeah. I mean, like, look at this, you know, is was it appropriate for Trump to Trump's decision to share highly classified security information with officials from the Russian government in the White House? Was that appropriate or inappropriate? So that's like a lower bar than some of these other questions of like, you know, do you think there's something wrong or, you know, it, this is just appropriate, sort of more big picture than asking a legal question. And 43 percent of Republicans say it's appropriate. I mean, that's that's a high number. It's this is all partisan. It's it's all driven by partisanship. Partisanship <sighs> is a powerful drug. Marty. I, I saw somebody tweet. I didn't look at it. And I don't remember who tweeted. Sorry, person who we retweeted um, that Comey is like, you know, has great favorables with Democrats now. <laughs> I told you. I told you that was going to flip. I was as yeah. soon as Trump fired him, I was like, "Here we go. These numbers are going to turn." And I'm sure enough. All right. right, let's talk about this Gallup stuff. Yes. I, this is cool. I love when Gallup puts this out. So Gallup has been tracking for many, many years now. This chart I'm looking at just goes back to 2003, but I think it, they have data going back way further than that, even where they ask people about whether they think certain things are moral or immoral. Are they morally acceptable or morally unacceptable? What do you think about the moral direction of the country, et cetera? And we are now seeing um, 45% of people uh, rate the overall state of America's moral values as poor. 36% say only fair. 17% say excellent or good. That is a decline from uh, – it was it was about six points higher five years ago. Uh, and – People, there there are a lot of individual questions about what is and is not morally acceptable that are, are pretty fascinating. Yeah. So and they not only do they ask about this overall, how do you feel things are going overall, they ask about a variety of specific kinds of behaviors and issues, right, which are just fascinating. And the trend is basically going in one direction. The trend is moving toward people having more liberal views on a variety of specific practices. So, you know, some things like uh, how acceptable is uh, birth control or divorce, sex between unmarried men and women, those are at new highs with two-thirds or more saying those things are acceptable. Um, 
uh, gay or lesbian relations, having a baby outside of marriage. Those are at new highs at just under two thirds. Um, the death penalty is at a low. So that's, you know, the progressive for, you know, direction there, um, with 58% saying that that's acceptable. Doctor assisted suicide. That's not how folks in the death with, dig- with dignity movement would use. They wouldn't use that phrase. They wouldn't say doctor assisted suicide, but even regardless, that's at a, at a new high for how acceptable people find that at 57%, medical testing at a new low and so on. And what I find particularly interesting from this list, so at the bottom of the list are things that are always really at the bottom of the list are polygamy, cloning, extramarital affairs. Those are all at the bottom of the list. I just find it fascinating that polygamy, which is at a new high at 17%, finding it morally acceptable, is higher than extramarital affairs which 9% find acceptable. Now, this is not a judgment on either of those things, only to say without looking at any numbers, I feel confident that more people have engaged in extramarital affairs than polygamy. I feel totally confident making up that fact, you know, like not just going out of limb with that fact without any numbers. So you have a lot of people saying it's unacceptable who have actually engaged in that behavior, which I just find it's very, it's very interesting to me, like the social pressure to say that that's not acceptable. Well, and I often give a presentation about millennial moral views. And I it often is like this uncomfortable moment when I'm explaining sort of the millennial moral lens of the world, which all boils down to this question of, is it hurting anybody? Is it hurting anybody or not? If it's not hurting anyone, then it's fine. If it's hurting someone, then it's not moral. Like it's cut and dry. And so that's why I've seen in polls things like extramarital affairs, older people tend to be more likely to say that it's morally acceptable than younger people. That it's not as though millennials are like more, quote unquote, accepting of everything. And in fact, they are more uh, opposed to things where they perceive they're being a victim. So if you take the extramarital affair versus polygamy, you can argue that there might be people looking at it and going, well, an extramarital affair is somebody who's getting hurt. Whereas if people want to have some whatever relationship that if they're all consenting adults, I mean, that that to me, that headline that popped out of it, I immediately thought of that that slide I always show about millennials and saying like, well, is anybody getting hurt? If not, then OK, I guess it's fine. You do you. Yeah. Very. It's very interesting. Anyway, top so- of the top of the list, by the way, and a record high. Uh, for moral acceptability is birth control, 91%. Divorce, 73%. Uh, sex outside of marriage, 69%. Gambling, 65%. Um, having a baby outside of marriage, uh, gay or lesbian relations. That's interesting These are to all me. Highs. I mean, gay, you know, having a baby outside of marriage, I mean, that, I, I don't, we don't have the full trend line here, but that I'm sure has gone through pretty wild change over the last oh, sure. 10 years. Um, meanwhile, the death penalty, low. Yeah. Medical testing on animals low. Uh, so not everything has gotten high. And again, I think it's this shift of like, is there is there a perception that there's a victim or not that really moves things? Abortion still very low on the list. Forty three percent cloning animals, cloning humans, you know, things that fall into some of this bioethics questions stay stay kind of lower on the list. But yeah. The birth control debate. I mean, that is that is over. The fact that it remains so highly political is just like mind boggling to me. And so it's interesting that people have these more liberal views. And at the same time, they're saying, well, our country's moral values are getting worse. Are they thinking about their own their own shift in these moral views or other people's or what? You know, so that's kind of an interesting parallel finding. And then the last 
piece of this is they asked about um, creationism, and uh, there also find some. They found some shift in views there as well, where now nineteen um, percent which is a new high since they've been asking this since 1981, say man developed, but God had no part in the process. So that's a new high there with a dropping percent that say um, uh, uh, God created man in present form. So 38% said agree with that statement. That's fewer than have responded that way in years past. Uh, so, Which is interesting when you think about the election. It, sometimes people say, well, this election, there was about social issues. You know, I don't really see that. I think this kind of reinforces, it, although that's not what they were testing here, but PRI and their model of what drives Trump voting and white working class, you know, also suggests that this was not really about social, moral, quote unquote, moral issues, like maybe during George W. Bush's elections, for example, where that was pretty relevant. That's not really Trump's thing particularly um, i mean even trump had to win over evangelicals yes. by saying i'm with you and i'll let you do you but i don't think for a moment he it was i'm one of you but right. it was i care about you and i'll defend your rights right and, right and so you know as a result does that mean that there's not an elevated discussion around these issues as it pertains you know that is maybe reflected in the gallup data i don't know but it's possible well this all i think sets up pretty well for the the next topic we've got on the agenda which is uh young republicans leaving the party <laughs> a topic near and dear to my heart yeah. so uh, you guys have heard me rant on the show i mean i think i do it like once every three weeks or so like clockwork about some new data that's come out and shows republicans are totally screwed with young voters and hey i mean republicans won the white house they control both houses of congress What's the complaining about? Maybe we don't need those young voters. But this new Pew study that came out about people's likelihood of switching parties, like, strikes an additional layer of fear into my heart. Doesn't surprise me, but just, like, reinforces how bad the last year and a half have been for the Republican Party in terms of this mission. Like, it's – so what Pew did was over the course of the last 14 or so months or, – or actually it was between December 2015 and March 2017. They have their American Trends survey and they survey – it's a panel study, which means they go in and they're surveying the same group of people. Um, so it's 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 not a changing sample. It's we talk to this person, then we talk to them again, then we talk to them again. And every time they ask, what party are you in? And so they took people who started off in December 2015 and said, I am a Republican or I am a Democrat. And they looked at what did they respond then on that question of what are you uh, over the course of, of the surveys they did over that 14-month period. And most people stick with their party. 78% of Republicans stuck with their party. 79% um, of Democrats stuck with their party. Uh, so very few people moved. But most of the movement comes from one group, and that is young Republicans. So among Republicans over the age of 50, 86 percent stayed in the GOP. Eighty three percent of those who are senior citizens stayed in the GOP, who were started off Republicans, stayed in the GOP. Um, but for young Republicans, only half, only half of those who were 18 to 29 year old Republicans, December 2005, were that way consistently through the presidential election. And that's the least consistent group if you look at all the age ranges. 
for yeah, Democrats as well. It's not as though, you know, young Democrats are also like trying to find themselves and, oh, they left the party because they were sad about how Bernie was treated and stuff. No, 76 percent were consistent Democrats. Twelve percent wobbled but came back in the end. Only nine percent actually left the Democratic Party, whereas for young Republicans, uh, 21 percent wobbled and then ultimately returned, but 23 percent left and never came back. And the reason why this is terrifying is because this is not like how many young Republicans left the party over the last 10 years. This is an insanely short time span. This is not like a slow bleed. This is like all of a sudden a gushing wound and now you're going to die of blood loss. Like it is – think about the group that they are talking about here of young Republicans. This is not people who like dabbled in maybe liking free markets in 2012. These are people that called themselves Republicans as of December 2015. Donald Trump had already been at the center of four Republican primary debate stages. He had already been the frontrunner for a while. It was already clear where the Republican Party was headed. So this is not like, oh, they'd been Republicans, but then Trump happened and they left. Because these are people that even called themselves Republicans after the rise of Trump was well underway. And yet still, it was bad enough. The last 14 months have been bad enough that that many of them wobbled or left altogether. Yeah, and so people this who guy's defected, falling, everything's terrible. I mean, blah, pe- blah. So, <laughs> the, the difference between – the difference in Trump approval between consistent Republicans and defected – you know, the Republicans who defected is massive. There's not as much of a difference. So there are Democrats who defected or returned um, and there are differences there on their views toward Trump for sure. But the differences among Republicans are just dramatic. I mean it's clearly – a big driver, right? So he, among people, Republicans who left the party, 84% of them are uh, disapprove of Donald Trump. And for Republicans who stuck with their party, 84% of them approve of Donald oh, Trump. Hey, hey, Margie, aren't people supposed to get Democratic uh, or leave leave the Democratic Party as they get older? You know, that's a thing. That's a thing everybody says. <laughs> Guess what? It didn't happen. No. There is, I will say, I want to be honest, the other group that had the highest amount of switching was Democrats in the sort of young boomer-esque window. Like it's 50 to 64 is technically the bar they have there. Um, But even there, 72 percent of Democrats that age stuck with their party. Another 10 percent wobbled but came back. Only 14 percent left. No, young Republicans is a real – Young Republicans is the story here. So it it is not – if all of a sudden people getting older, all were going to become Republicans, you would expect to see those defected to the GOP numbers be pretty big among older groups and it didn't happen because party identification is sticky and when all these young people identify as Democrats when they're 30 and something, they're not going to come back. Here's why this is also important, too. So as you're looking at your own polling or other polling you see out in the world, think about are they looking at party ID or are they looking at party registration? Because you can have places where they're looking at party registration because that matters because you're talking, trying to figure out who's going to vote in a closed primary or what have you. But their ID may be fluid. Um And if you have tracking polls, and this was an issue in elections past, I think it was Gallup or others that were waiting by party ID or maybe not waiting by party ID. That's what it was. And so results would fluctuate. But there is a very strong case to make that you should not wait by party ID because it is not a fixed thing like whether, you know, how old you are or what state you live in. It's something that you can change on a whim from day to day. And that 
volatility or variability is important, especially when you have like a real finding here, which is among young Republicans, there was a real lot of movement. And there's actually some fluidity elsewhere as well. I mean, this is quite a bit of fluidity in the scheme of things on the Democratic side as well, honestly. So, um, and But so- the headline on this is that party ID is pretty sticky, that like the headline that was given is that, look, most people are not – changing as much as people say oh i used to be so and so but then i changed most people or if they do wobble they kind of wind up back in the same place in the end i guess it's whatever your threshold is or what yeah. to- what do you, what are your expectations but young republicans are definitely wobbly yeah they're definitely there's wobbly. no other way to read that data i mean i don't really expect somebody to kind of change their party identification frequently that seems like quite a big rural view to kind of re-examine on a regular basis mm-hmm. um uh, you know, so it's no surprise to me that it's sticky, but it is when you're thinking about how you're comparing one poll to another over time, over years, and you're like, oh, well, this poll has a three-point Democratic advantage. That's probably right because the one from two years ago had a three-point Democratic advantage. Well, you know, who knows because there's so much movement that you don't know are – you know, you, you can't really – maybe the ability to compare over time how – what the party breakout is in a certain area, maybe, you know – Maybe we're expecting more consistency than there is. Well, speaking of consistency, maybe red and <laughs> red and blue. God, that was that was like a record bad transition. Uh, we're going to end on our funny data ish story of the week. So this is a story that's very near and dear to my heart right now because Echelon is moving into new offices and we're having. Uh, issues figuring out what color we want the wall to be right now. It's a really weird shade of turquoise. It's not really like an echelon color. So we found a paint that we liked. It's named Dreamcatcher. And Aww. it's a lovely like bluish gray. It's it's nice. It'll be pretty. Neural networks are not good at naming paints or finding <laughs> colors that are pretty. We have found the limits of what artificial intelligence – no, I'm just kidding. Or like we have found the limits of what computers can do. That's right. So you're safe. So, you, you color namers. The color robots namers, are not Because I was for thinking you. this would be a fun job. Like I'm holding all of these paint chips of like Lagoon Blue, Dreamcatcher, Santa Monica Beach. Like, ooh, which one is our office? Is our office more Santa Monica Beach or is it more Blue Lagoon or is it right. more Calypso? Like what are we? <laughs> Uh, so Margie, tell us a little bit about what this, this, and by the way, it is National Painting Week because there was an ad on TV and I was like, oh, this is appropriate since I'm dealing with painting hell right now. <laughs> I, I mean, if, I would be impressed if we now get a pitch about paint. That sounds like someone actually paid attention. You know, one is following whatever that calendar is that people follow and two, actually listening to what we're talking about. Um, so these colors are hilarious. So these are just all like... So the, what did they do? They, did, they, yeah. they it, The question was, could a neural network learn to invent new paint colors and give them attractive names? And so what are some of the paint colors that it came up with and what did it name them? I mean, I don't really care so much about how they came up with it. I just feel like want to read these <laughs> funny names. <laughs> because, like they start like Clardic Fug, which is kind of funny because remember we, we liked that uh, blog, uh, you the know, Fug the Fug girls. girls, right? So Clardic Fug, <laughs> Snow Bonk, which is funny. Bank Butt. <laughs> I mean, these sound like Dummy Beige. These sound like the names my five-year-old would come up with for colors. <laughs> these and do. Then... <laughs> this, is, this is like a Lucy special right here. Grade um, and grass bat. What about caring tan <laughs> or dork wood? I mean, they're just... turdly. 
I mean, I can't read these. I mean, they're just stanky bean and burble simp. I mean, they're so funny. I can't even. Uh, I can't even take stoner it. Stoner blue. That's that's the color we're going to pick for the echelon. Um, or gray, gray pubic. Fun fun fact. I worked. That'll on, be our accent color. I've worked on a race where. There was an ad that was put up that it said so and so fights no, for the pubic no, interest. No, 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 no! I knew where that was going when you started the sentence. Yeah, it oh. happens. This was a long time ago. I don't even know if you'd be able to figure it out online because it was, you know, before oh, before the God. internet. But um, but yeah, uh, it ha- it happens. It happens. Anyway, so gray pubic, uh, black hands, which I think is pretty funny. Anyway, <laughs> light of blast. I don't know. They're all funny. They all like. I just want to crack up reading all of them. So, and I guess some of the colors that they were more likely to come up with are brown, beige, and gray, which I guess is not a surprise. Those are pretty kind of common, neutral. If you start neutral. mixing red, blue, and green together randomly, it is what you get if you start. Once you throw all three of them into the mix, things can get crazy. Yeah. No. So give invent new paint colors. Sure. Give them attractive names. Probably not, <laughs> I guess is the answer here. Okay. So some key findings. Uh, find something you're enthusiastic about the way Kylie is enthusiastic about APOR or as Democrats may be about voting or as we are about policy profit. Um, we took two weeks off our regular show. So much has happened in Trump world. The polls can barely keep up. Hey, GOP. Read the selfie vote. It's super easy to find anywhere fine books about millennials are sold. Meanwhile, the country is becoming so liberal on values, we may all find ourselves painting our walls stoner blue. You can find us on Twitter at, at the pollsters or individually at Margie O'Meara and at Soltis Anderson. Find us on Facebook where we post links throughout the week to the stories we'll be talking about on the upcoming show. Find us at www.thepolsters.com where we also have our bank of polling resources that we've linked to. Don't forget, write a review. We love to hear from you. We especially love those five-star reviews with touching messages that make us cry. So if you have any of those stored up that you've been waiting to launch, we love to hear from you. Thanks. Bye. A Westwood One podcast production.